Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. The recent uh, cyclone that happened this year and also last year, the state actually aimed to have zero casualty. So they had developed uh, you know, quite a lot of these cyclone shelters. So they moved people from vulnerable areas to the cyclone shelters and they saved a lot of life. But what happens because of, uh, as I said, like, you know, because of climate change, the frequency and the size of the cyclones are increased. So, you know, uh, in 1998, people said this such a cyclone is coming after 40 years. And since 1990 until now, there has been 17 cyclones. SDG Talkers, welcome back. Today, we're going to hear from Anima Shabera, and he's going to give us some context about the Unleashed Hacks India event that's going on November 21st and 22nd. This is going to have a specific focus around SDG 11 and 13, and we're going to dive into specifically around how we can cyclone-proof the habitats and livelihoods throughout India and the world. Anamesh is a wealth of knowledge around urban planning and adopting indigenous practices and little simple things that we can do from an individual, city, state, and global level to help accelerate the SDG efforts. I know you're going to love this episode. There's a lot much, lot more to follow from Anamesh. Make sure to check out Unleash Hacks India on Facebook, and we hope you enjoy listening. Anamesh, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's officially snowing in Chicago, and just glad to be here talking to you. And uh, where, where are you located today in the world? So basically, exactly the same day last year, I was in Hamburg with sub-zero or around zero degrees temperature. But right now, I'm in Bhubaneswar, quite warm. So I would say around 20, 24 degrees. So I'm enjoying this weather. So I'm in India. The city is called Bhubaneswar. It's in the eastern part of India. Nice. Yeah, I had the fortune of going to India in 2012. And if I had to say my favorite cuisine by, by far is Indian cuisine. Well, I would say that... that um, the Indian cuisines will range from 100 to 1,000. So <laughs> all the parts of India, the taste will vary, the, you know, the texture will vary. And if you, if you come to my part of the uh, India, it, it focuses on like a little bit Swedish things and quite good, amazing. So you must, you know, take some time to travel India, spend a month and try different cuisines. I, I, I'm sure you'll love it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that kind of speaks to India. It's so diverse from top to bottom, east to west, and it has so many different climates and such a wide geography and i know you do a lot with with weather and and sort of climate crisis response how does india's diversity from top to bottom and around the country define its relationship around the sdgs and particularly some of the issues with uh climate so i'd say like uh Culture-wise, as you can guess that, you know, India is quite like in Europe. So all the different states, they have their own language and their own, uh, you know, like habits and culture. And pretty much of them are basically shaped by, let's say, the climate uh, climatic zones they are in. For example, if you if you go to the north, northernmost, you know, it will be more hilly and snowing all of the time. But if you, if you come to southern India, it will be more sunny and warm. So you will find a range of like different, uh, different climatic zones in India warm, hot and warm, or hot and arid, or, or temperate or moderate climate. So it pretty much shapes the people's architecture, their lives, their clothing, and, and their food also in a way. 
and uh, talking about the climate uh, aspect uh, definitely let's say the the western part of india they are more affected by let's say desertification whereas where i am right now we we get a lot of floods we get a lot of uh, cyclones uh, which which were not very frequent few decades ago but with climate change uh, things are changing now and a lot of the cyclones the frequency and sizes are increasing so you go to different parts of india you will have different climate uh, climate related problems coming in starting from rise in temperatures to rise in uh, precipitation to to cyclones to desertification so it's it's quite quite a range that we see all over the world you can you can find a summary happening in india wow such a, a wide story and it's interesting to think about how the design of these cities for all over this all over india in terms of how we built our buildings you talked about the architecture of your life you know how we live our lives individually within our homes but then how the city is built around us and it's interesting to think about you know why did we make some of these decisions and based on the growing challenges with the climate what do we need to do moving forward to build kind of retrofit and build a more sustainably built city and lifestyle i mean as an architect i would say uh, going back to the indigenous practices so we have quite a lot to learn from uh, for example again talking contextual if you if you see the buildings that are in let's say in the uh, in the state of rajasthan uh, or or uh, you know places like jaipur you will see that the buildings are shaped with, with stone uh, you know the 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 thickness of the walls are quite uh, large and you know there will be a courtyard so that you know even if the like outside the building it's it's like in the range of 45 degrees celsius if you come inside it will be sub 25 degrees quite healthy to uh, you know like live in the same time if you come to let's say uh, places like kerala where you have a lot of humidity and rain but at the same time you know the building typology there is very different they will have like verandas and they will have like slanted uh, like you know uh, Uh, roofs and more focusing on like cross ventilation so all those architectures i would say you know the traditionally they have uh, accounted the climatic aspect and they have built accordingly but the moment we started giving one shape to all the kind of you know different climates we we make the mistake there so that's what i would say that the you know you have to dig into the local architecture local material and, and apply the sciences that that uh, they have uh, developed over the years uh, to to build those structures but when it again like comes down to you know cyclones you need to have few buildings in such a way that you know that, that takes care of more wind load for example yes so interesting and one thing i've heard now amongst a lot of different people throughout the sdg talks is the term indigenous practices it seems like we've gone away from indigenous practices because as a society we were so focused on growth and growing and economic development without really considering the natural limits of our earth. So when we think about innovating moving forward around this concept of indigenous practices, what else do you think or what do you think in regards to how we go about designing our cities, designing our buildings and designing our life with with indigenous practices in mind? I mean one thing I would uh, like to see happening is when we think about let's say you know that's that's the very definition of uh, sustainable development that you develop in the present but at, at the same time keeping in mind the development of the future generation or their ability to also develop as well so definitely one thing we can't do that we consider natural uh, resources into you know like uh, capitalistic assets we cannot definitely uh, you know develop on that and the moment we think about uh, 
let's say keeping economic growth at the same time in, in a sustainable fashion we need to think about the people first as simple as that uh, and then comes the environment so uh, don't consider environment as as a resource that can be exploited if uh, you know that uh, that definitely is not uh, sustainable in the long run but at the same time create enterprises which are circular in nature you know which takes from the nature and also gives back to the nature so if we can create businesses and if you can create let's say enterprises which which uh, which, which which are not functioning in a linear way but let's say in a circular way uh, you know then we have a win win situation well put and i've heard that and couldn't agree more it has the thinking process needs to be people environment and enterprise and enterprise going from that shift from being something linear where the earth and the environment are these un, like these limitless resources that we can just take and not have to worry about whereas we now think about how can businesses and our lifestyles become more circular so what else around circular economies or creating circularity do you have or would you say from an architecture perspective or just a you know across the whole 17 SDG perspective well actually the list is endless but i will try to touch upon the uh, architectural part so in architecture for example you know there are a lot of buildings again uh, either indigenous or or you know depending on vernacular architecture they are built with earth uh, in mind so they are basically urban buildings and need not be you know like uh, like a building that is not suitable to live but at the same time you know there are a lot of contemporary earth buildings that that we have seen in the past uh, you know few years Uh, for example you know uh, you take earth uh, not the top soil because the top soil is organic and, and fertile so you take after like 2 feet uh, or like 1 uh, meter and then you you have earth which is basically you know you can you can use it to make bricks don't burn it but there are different methods for example there is something called csct compost stabilized earth blocks so you just add like you know 5% lime or 5% cement and you can you know uh, just just build a brick it's, it's compressed the earth so what do we do like i'm basically talking about uh, natural buildings so that you know it's not dependent on a lot of for example industrial materials but but utilizing earth so at the end of the life cycle the, the same building components can go back to nature without having to go into landfill or without having to contaminate the uh, you know the, the, the subsurface or the surface of the groundwater the building uh, components should go back to nature so csb rammed earth and a lot of innovation has been happening and also people have been using bamboo as a very sustainable material which which goes back to nature people have been experimenting with uh, bamboo reinforced uh, uh, cement concrete so without using steel they are actually using bamboo so a lot of this innovations and for example you can you can reduce rcc or you can reduce you know steel usage in your building with with the methods like arches vaults you know uh, such uh, such uh, techniques which come from the practice from the vernacular practice but which can also be applied in contemporary buildings i mean there's so much more to that and i'd love to even expand upon the aspects of making buildings more functional not only with how we're design the materials that we're designing them out of but with making doing things like rainwater capture and different types of rooftop gardens for example i know in washington dc because of all the concrete and cement we've poured the stormwater is very poor and there's a lot of stormwater runoff issues but now buildings get tax credits if they have these rooftop gardens so these buildings do that but now taking it one step further is now producing food on top of a building that can be consumed within the local area and addressing all those kind of issues so how else can we 
make buildings functional when we're designing them? Absolutely. I mean, you raised the, raised the most pertinent issue around our time, you know. So buildings doesn't have to be only talking about the materials they are used, but you have to talk about the entire ecosystem, about water, energy, weight, uh, waste, food, uh, about passive, uh, you know, design. For example, you have to have a building, you know, these, uh, looking at the future that is more dependent on natural uh, lights and natural ventilation rather than using like artificial, you know, uh, heating and ventilation systems. And uh, something as uh, elementary as water harvesting must be, uh, you know, like mandatory or must be integrated into buildings. For, I mean, because if, if you look into places like Delhi, uh, New Delhi, so the water, uh, every year the groundwater is falling drastically. And all the all the bigger like metropolis in India, you will have like every year people are just taking water from the ground uh, for their construction and daily activities, but they're not replenishing the water so every building is like individually all of them you know like starting from the design itself if they integrate these aspects of let's say water harvesting and you need not have very technical aspects of water harvesting you can simply have a uh, you know like a pit uh, that can uh, that can uh, basically absorb uh, the, the, the rainwater that falls onto your rooftop that would be enough as, as, as a first step and just think about uh, uh, harvesting 10 percent of your energy here uh, why I'm saying this? Because you may know about this factor that, you know, um, if you're using, let's say, one joule or one watt of energy at, at your fingertip by running appliances in your home, uh, basically three equivalent energy units are spent at the source. And that's because we use a lot of coal, a lot, a lot of oil, and a lot of energy is basically you know, uh, wasted during the transport. And every time you have capacitor and, and bringing down the voltage from high voltage to lower voltage, you have some loss in current. So if you can generate some energy at site, that means we're gener- uh, that means we're saving actually two times the energy at source. So energy, water, and waste, and you must have a system which which let's say protect. you don't export or you don't throw out your I would say your organic waste at all. Just re- just you know like take care of your kitchen waste make it into compost and start growing food. Just create this little circular system in your own home itself. Fix the nutrient of the soil, just make uh, compost and, and uh, grow your own food. And by this also, you are cutting down the food mileage. For example, the, the food that you get from your supermarkets, they are coming from someplace, right? And you are spending on uh, petrol, you are, you are generating a lot of carbon just just for the, for the you know, uh, transport of the food by generating your own food you can you can cut down on these aspects so definitely you, you, you really raised a very crucial point water energy waste food all these things can be fixed at the domestic level and we almost uh, you know like think about that and, and yeah cater to those uh, at our own residences i wish you could see my notepad right now i'm just like at 12 different questions i want to ask you right now but i'm gonna <laughs> try try and be uh, coherent about it but within what you just talked about seems like one of the challenges that we face is communicating that massive impact that you can have with those individual decisions where sometimes people think, oh, you know, me, the way I shop or the way I eat or the way that I'm not or I am harvesting water doesn't make a difference. What you just talked about of that food mileage and how we can reduce it based on how you eat and if you compost, compost or doing a retrofit of your own house and just capturing that little rainwater or doing the little things like just unplugging your appliances and saving a little electricity. Those are all like pretty small, tangible things that most people could implement pretty easily. But that 
I guess visualizing that true exponential impact is something that I haven't seen done well enough and I don't think it's understood. But what are your thoughts on, on that and how we can better visualize the impact of these individual decisions? So, uh, Kevin, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. So basically, in my, in my master's thesis, I referred to a very nice inter- literature called uh, The Psychology of Sustainability. So I will just give you a couple of examples from that uh, literature. One is very crucial. People will switch when they see their neighbors switching. Or in simple terms, human beings are social animals and they like to see the examples or they like to follow others. So if you ask all the, you know, all the advertisement models says that we are unique, we don't follow each other, but the entire psychology, so think about all the algorithms that goes into likes and shares. So if, if you see a uh, hundred likes, you just naturally like it saying that, you know, others are doing that. So that same thing can be brought into a sustainable consumption model. So if, if people see there are enough examples around them, and uh, so, you know, uh, for example, the sustainable or that kind of a lifetime, uh, lifestyle is a default. If, if, they see, if they see the validation in other people doing that, for example, composting, for example, retrofitting or putting solar panels on their roof, the more they see, the more they will walk towards that. In the beginning, there will be this uh, something called... Uh, the bystanders confusion, but the moment you over, I mean, uh, the moment you cross that crucial aspect, you actually will have a lot of people going to or wanting to be sustainable in their approaches. Right now, uh, I think the biggest issue is we have, let's say, you know, five percent people or let's say ten percent people who are walking that talk, but the moment that uh, you know crosses, let's say, twenty percent to twenty-five percent, you will have a lot of example around people, and they will naturally think that that is the default that they should be doing. And on your question about how that can be represented, uh, so for example, there was there was this interesting, last year I saw this interesting illustration by, I forgot the artist's name, uh, but it's basically an illustration I saw in Hamburg uh, in, in the info state. It's about a, it's called Western flag. So what he did basically, I think John Gerard or something, the artist's name is John Gerard. So, so he created an illustration where basically there is a there is a flag. It's it's not a real flag, but it's it's basically smoke coming out of a pole which looks like a flag, and he calls it the Western flag. And you you get the point, I guess. You know, the, all the dirty oil that goes goes into the industrial you know development. He just tried to portray that in terms of a smoky, very you know like uh, black smoke kind of a flag, just as an illustration. So if we can have illustrations which really depict these issues in simpler terms, people will be, you know, people will be affected. For example, having the little things in the cups where, you know, these come from trees. So you go to a cafeteria, you, you opt for, instead of a, let's say, plastic cup, you opt for a, a, a paper cup, thinking that you are doing your bit. But, you know, you can just simply have a, a sticker in the cup or, you know, print saying that these comes, comes from tree. Uh, you know, they, they, they can be from recycled paper, but, you know, the source is finally tree or bamboo or something like that. So that also will ask them to take the extra step of getting their own mugs from home, getting their own, uh, you know, uh, containers for coffee. So these things can work when you try to show people that, you know, the little things matter and they can be part of the change. Couldn't agree more. And we, we truly are social animals. And I, I think about this in terms of how humans respond to marketing or advertising and, and even how we're responding in a digital realm, but especially within 
if you see someone else doing something nice or sustainable, you're more likely, or at least hopefully more likely to, to catch on. And I think it's part, how do we make sustainability more cool? Or how do we make it more visible and, and not something that's just the, the passion of people around the sustainable development goals are working towards, but something that is normalized across. And I mean, I think back exactly. about our 2019 Unleashed experience in Shenzhen, it changed my life forever. I mean, being around those thousand other change makers, I'll never forget that time. And frankly, it led to us having this podcast discussion here. But let's let's expand upon that. You know, amongst people and humanity, I know we've had to adapt in this post-COVID world. However long it'll continue to adapt, but now we needed to adapt this unleash approach to this new unleash hacks and these new virtual events. I know this is something that we're going to do in India, and you've given such an amazing framework for India and in so many things that we need to talk about. Uh, but tell me about the Unleash from your perspective and what is the Unleash Hacks coming up in a few weeks? Unleash, uh, Kevin, I think like even me, we, we know that you know the kind of experiences and the kind of connections that we got and kind of belief that generated out of Unleash that you know, change is possible when you, when you put a bunch of uh, you know, like change makers together under a roof. So uh, amazing, you know, amazing th- things can come out of uh, such collaboration and your uh, SDG talk is one of those examples. So uh, I, I believe I did not explain it to that, but on the Unleash hacks, um, so when we had this opportunity before, I think June, when Unleash came up with uh, this uh, idea that we, we can organize local hacks, pretty much in the TEDx model, like globally organized TED model, uh, uh, you know, TED events. Uh, in the same way, they, uh, they propose like, can we create uh, you know, uh, hackathons all over the world, which are focus, uh, focusing on locally, uh, local issues and trying to you know, generate this awareness and this, this ecosystem and networks in a local uh, context. And because I was in India that time and, and um, you know, uh, again, uh, going back to my state, which is called Odisha. So Odisha uh, gets a lot of cyclones, uh, basically. So when I was a kid, I was in school in 1998. The first uh, super cyclone after a long time happened, and that was a disaster. So, like 10,000 people almost, uh, 10,000 was just the official number, way more than that. Those many people actually have died in that uh, cyclone, which was quite devastating in terms of, you know, public uh, image and, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, coming out of that cyclone disaster was, was quite difficult for the state. And I remember how, you know, my school was devastated, like all the, all, you, you couldn't see any roads basically everywhere you know the trees were there people were uprooted all buildings were uprooted and you know, all the animals and everyone was just flying and then you know there was flooding and there was no power for the next 20 days so that had a very deep impact on my uh, on my personal uh, psychology but then what i realized that the state had uh, taken quite good measures in terms of bringing the casualty uh, down so for example the recent uh, cyclone that happened this year and also last year, the state actually aimed to have zero casualty. So they had developed uh, you know, quite a lot of these cyclone shelters. So they moved people from vulnerable areas to, into the cyclone shelters, and they saved a lot of life. But what happens because of, as I said, like you know, because of climate change, the frequency and the size of the cyclones are increasing. So, you know, uh, in 1998, people said this such a cyclone is coming after 40 years. And since 1990 and now, there has been like 17 cycles. And in last three years, in fact, when I was in Germany, every year 
almost there are two cyclones happening one in the month of may and one in the month of october so now right now when we are talking this is kind of a cyclone season and every time a cyclone hits even if there are uh, you know less casualty in terms of uh, deaths but people get devastated and you know they they lose their buildings they lose their livelihoods they you know uh, the issues like you know uh, power breakout uh, water contamination and, and you know uh, all these creeps in and i was thinking can there be solutions and using the unleash model i was thinking can we put uh, young people to think about these problems uh, and uh, maybe you know some sort of a solution which is which we haven't imagined yet can come up out of this so that was the idea about uh, putting this as uh, as the theme of the cyclone in short we call it uh, cyclone resilient uh, habitat and livelihood so we have picked this as a theme and we are going to have this uh, unleash hacks uh, this month 21st and 22nd of november i'm really excited for this and and it's good to get really granular because sometimes we really need to do that to actually solve a problem even though it is good to go broad but within cyclone season it was interesting hearing you talk about it it's pretty much like in baseball season in America or any sort of season where it's like you just you know it's going to happen it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and now you're sort of you talked about it, it's this resiliency and livelihood so we know they're happening climate change is making them happen happen more often and larger what can we do what are how can we look at every single sdg within that context before during and after cyclone resiliency and come up with solutions so it seems like there's a lot of different needs because it's not just oh yes they're alive great you know it's how do we how do we be able to bounce back quicker or what are things that we can do to build more resiliency within our daily lives and our enterprise economic models what are some of your thoughts around that and what would you say to those that are considering uh, applying or or just uh, should be thinking about this uh, well in terms of sdgs given i think the the primary sdgs that we associate with the hacks are sdg 13 climate action and sdg 11 so sustainable cities again because it, it has to do with uh, the habitat uh, in a, in, a, in a very crucial way but at the same time you would understand that uh, uh, sdg 1 like starting from po- poverty to education to water to energy to almost everything is kind of touched by cyclones affected by cyclones including sdg 17 so you know to to uh, to come out of such an event you need collaboration also so uh, in a way this is this is quite an overarching problem statement i would say that uh, that you know that affects uh, multiple sdgs and so there can be multiple solutions but in terms of solutions what we are thinking that when we when we started with this ideation we we had a lot of uh, uh, concerns about many people they haven't felt what a cyclone feels and they thought that you know they will not be in a good position to contribute but then uh, you know my opinion to that was you know uh, maybe you know i i have never felt uh, a forest fire but i can think or i can understand people with forest fire because i i know that you know you also created a uh, portable water kind of a solution uh, with with people affected in forest fire so i i know that uh, you know even if you never have experienced something but you can still think about the solutions i'll tell you very uh, you know like uh, briefly about some of the solutions that i think are uh, i think are possible so right now for you know this is going to happen the people know this is going to happen but let's say those 48 hours before it happens are very crucial so the government has that you know uh, they will they will you know spread out the message and they will uh, have red alert uh, 
the, the coastal areas, asking fishermen not to go into the sea and stuff like that, which is quite efficient. But at the same time, let's say the people, because the smartphone penetration is quite well in India right now. And for example, let's assume that somebody doesn't have a smartphone. So my idea is, can we come up with a solution which uh, which uses basic 2G network and basic uh, you know GPS and come up with some very uh, you know uh, very not tech. I mean, it can be uh, tech savvy from the developer's point of view, but from the user's point of view, can we create with a uh, come up with a very simple solution? that anyone in, in the affected area knows whether uh, you know, to what extent their village is going to be affected. You know, just just uh, considering that uh, tracking and considering you know, in which direction the cycling is moving and having IOTs in place and stuff like that. Can we, can we think about that? And because I'm an architect, so can we definitely think about a building typology using, using traditional materials and, and, and stuff like that so that you know, it can take cycling load more easily than the existing buildings or the conventional buildings? And because we are also collaborating with a few of the uh, partners, which are technical institutions, we'll try, we'll, if any solution comes up, we would uh, definitely like to test them on their labs and, and uh, putting them into this high-speed uh, you know, uh, simulators, seeing whether those buildings work or not. These are some of the solutions we can think about. And definitely, as I said, water, energy, and all those things, we can think about how to basically provide portable water because the water will be contaminated after a cyclone. Can we create some device that basically cleans the water that you find around you, but you know that is drinkable? Or can we create some mechanism so that we can store energy safely and that can be used as a smaller substation to, let's say at least the crucial, uh, crucial infrastructure such as hospitals and schools and banks, and also maybe even a few hours for individual houses. So can we create some smaller uh, you know, modular plants inside villages or using using uh, technology and using, you know, some low-cost mechanism that can take care of the power uh, breakup uh, using renewable, uh, you know, uh, resources, sun or wind or battery systems. We can all think about this. So these are some of the approaches, even if you have never experienced a cyclone before, but you can still think about such solutions and, and, and you know, like, you know, come up with uh, ideas. So that is the main goal about, uh, or that is the main objective that we're trying to work on. Anamesh, it's so epic. You are on a roll and I am excited for the <laughs> webinar tomorrow and then the everything coming up with the Unleash India hack. Um, one thing that I, I want to challenge to everyone is when you say how, if you have an experience of Cyclone, it's, I say, oh, okay, well, let's create the experience in 360 video <laughs> in virtual reality, which we could do with very low tech technology and use it as a means yeah, of why not? E empathy building. I, I actually, I have a video of a forest fire in 360 video that I'll send you. And I think it is very important to understand and truly have empathy to whoever the end user is when you're developing a solution. And you gave so many other good examples of, yes, some of these other maybe high-tech solutions are good, but sometimes thinking with indigenous practices in mind, thinking about developing something for a 2G basic texting network. Those are all things that we need to, to vet and consider. And there's a lot of opportunity for exciting innovation in this upcoming hack. Yes, Kevin, we are just hoping for the best. Yes, and it, it's going to be epic. I just want to mention one thing that we, right now we are just fixated on the process. So we want to, from our side, we want to create an ecosystem because we, we don't know what are the solutions that are going to come out of the hack. But we can we can create the process, we can work for the process and, and hope for the best. 
so i just hope that you know people turn up and i just hope that talent people club uh, you know like uh, join hands and um, some of the solutions that come to life if yeah. not at least we'll start a thinking or we'll start a movement that takes it forward in the coming years totally and you know at least we're talking about it and starting to move forward on it and making baby steps so i'm all for that and exactly. uh Five minutes left here, but I wanted to ask you two last questions and you can answer them in either way. What is one thing that excites you most about the SDGs and in particular within your framework of 11 and 13? And then what's something that keeps you up at night and terrifies you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I can say that uh, recently organizing this hack uh, keeps me up at night. <laughs> fair, <laughs> <Basically>. fair. <laughs> Like all the communication, all the different people that uh, you just you just I just uh, wake up in the night, middle of the night, and send texts like, "Guys, we need to do this tomorrow and stuff like that." So, but uh, seriously, I think uh, the the most exciting thing about uh, STG, I would say, uh, STG has created a platform where, irrespective of your uh, background, of your expertise, of your educational background or your experience, you can join hands. For example, in our team itself, we have people who are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an architect, but there are people who are with the background of uh, communication, with the background of uh, GIS, with the background of, let's say, education and entrepreneurship, energy experts. So we all come from like kind of different uh, backgrounds and we have joined hands. So that's the best thing about this STG, that we can really bring everything under the sun and with the intention of taking it forward. So that is the best thing. And, and uh, definitely... Uh, Again, I think that sometimes, uh, sometimes I think about this. I mean, if you, if you know about the thing about exponential growth, so whether it's debt or whether it's the calamity, exponential growth is. I mean, I'm not talking about growth, but the exponential factor is very, uh, very you know, uh, frightening. Uh, so that is something that should keep us, you know, awake at night. What I'm exactly trying to say, let's say you have one jar and jar is full with food and there is one bacteria which doubles every day you know the story so uh, let's say you know the jar uh, 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 you know the let's say the bacteria is they full the jar or they, they eat up all the food in let's say 30 days so on 29th day so this is exponential growth i'm talking about so on 29th day the bacteria they think that guy is nothing to worry we still have 50 percent of the food and guess what the next day it's all gone that's something that uh, worries me because I think the way we are utilizing the resources on the planet, uh, we are doing it in an exponential way. And it will be beyond human imagination to predict when things go wrong. They will go wrong very suddenly and without really giving you any time to react. So I think we must all work way before the 29th day. And probably we have already reached the 25th day, so we have a very limited time to act. And we should be really kind of concerned. At the same time, we should put our best effort to not reach the 29th day. Couldn't agree more. The time to act is now. And it's the time to collaborate and participate in the Unleash Hacks and all these other amazing organizations aligned with the SDGs is now. And Anamesh, I, I literally have 10 more questions I want to ask you, but it, <laughs> it would be it's, it's literally time for another podcast. Like, I want to talk about why bamboo is such an amazing product and how it's something that can be used sustainably. And I'm sure that could be an hour on its own. Okay. If you are serious about it, Kevin, I can offer you one more uh, <laughs> like topic and we could definitely you know, discuss more at length. 
And, for sure. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for doing this, Kevin. You are doing a great job by bringing people with uh, working on stitching together. Thank you so much. Sharing their stories. I really appreciate it, and and you are a rock star, change maker that we'd love to hear from, and keep doing the good work. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.